Welcome to The Deal with Yield, your podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. I'm Kyle Reiner, District Sales Manager for Winfield United. And I'm John Zook, Agronomist for Winfield United. On today's episode, we have something a little special for our listeners. We will be debunking myths about micronutrients with a new true or false question game. What do you think of that, John? The magical. Here in studio, we'll be pulling questions about micronutrients out of an unopened envelope. What do you think is in there? I already cheated and looked. Dang it. And then we'll be answering on the fly. Ready, John? You bet. Number one. Micronutrients don't play a big role in maintaining plant health because they are all needed in very small quantities. True or false? I got to say false there. Why do you say so, John? A lot of times we think about macronutrients and micronutrients and where we spend all the money on the acre is a macro, right? Because it's dollars. And so you look at a spreadsheet or a line item and go, ooh, I spent uh, $85 in nitrogen or whatever, P and K. And you go back to a micronutrient, you maybe spend two, three, four dollars, five, six dollars an acre. But I think it's critical, more of a timing. So when we go back and think about macro versus micro, it just means it's nothing to do with importance. It means amount needed at specific times. And micronutrients are still super important for plant health. So, I mean, you think about what you're paying for in the bag of corn and soybeans, you go back to most of that plant health is taken care of. And on the nutrient hierarchy, copper on soybeans does show up maybe fifth on the list. For corn, it's kind of doesn't show up. The nutrients that really come into play for corn would be zinc early, manganese mid. So when I say early V5, V8, mid, I say pre-tassel. So I'd say manganese and manganese is for photosynthesis. So if you're deficient in manganese and you're putting on a whole bunch of vegetation, you're not photosynthesizing. And a lot of times we go, oh, well, sunlight is good during those times. As long as the crop is green, it's photosynthesizing. But now that you made me answer a true false question on plant health, I got to like spin this into a plant health story, right? And then the last one is boron post-tassel or right during tassel. And that's because the plant basically moves all of its boron to the reproductive parts and the leaves become deficient. And now it can't transfer the sugars that it's making in photosynthesis. So really, when I think about plant health, I don't think of a sick dying plant. I think of just overall processes with micronutrient. And that's what I refer to more of plant health. I look at it similar to like a human being, right? If we're lacking nutrients, it's easier for us to get a cold or the flu, right? If we're, That's why we take vitamins, right? It's no different than this. If we have something that's out of whack... That ailment or whatever it is might be able to sneak into our system and create a problem. Yeah, you eat your meat and potatoes every day. Those are your macronutrients, and every once in a while you might need a Zycam. What about your greens? Green beans? Next question. Do Next I get... question. Do you want to read one? No, you can read this one. Second question. Micronutrient deficiencies generally appear inconsistently across the field. True or false? Can I get a reread? <laughs> so... I would read this as micronutrient deficiencies generally appear across the field in symptomology. No. I'm trying to think. You read it. You can't make your own. I can read. Change the words. What do you want me to say? Micronutrient deficiencies generally appear inconsistently across fields. True or false? That's what I said the first time. Yeah. So I just needed to hear that again. He says I can't read. So, I mean, I guess I look at this and I probably go, 
true because you have places in the field where you don't see a nutrient deficiency versus places in the soil field. types. You do soil yeah. types, right? Certain soil types have. Yeah. You get uh, too low a pH, all of a sudden lumen becomes toxic, right? Yep. So, I mean, there's different soil types. So, absolutely. Organic matter, clay percentage would tie up micronutrients. So, what do you think on, like, I'm just trying to find a real life. So, if you were, let's say if you're out taking a tissue sample and you go, well, go to the greenest spot and take a tissue sample and then go to the yellow spot. And I mean, how do you do that? You open your eyes and you walk to the greenest spot, and you open your eyes and walk to the yellowest spot. Yeah, so I've tried to I've tried to train myself. I go on a lot of fields every day, and most of the fields that I go on, I've never been to before, right? So I don't have no idea of terrain or soil type. So a lot of times I just kind of practice in season. I do a in, if I got an in season image, I try to do in season image because at least it gives me uh, maybe a guide of a of a different spectrum than what my eye tells me of this crop is yellow in this place. And so typically what I do to, to scout nutrient deficiencies is I always go to a, a green, a yellow, and a red spot in the farm, and it just gives me good, worse, terrible. But where, or, where do you get those colors from, John? On the in-season image? Yeah. Uh, that's another question. We got to go no, true-false. We can't skip that one? True-false. Okay. So back to where I think... So if you got topography out there, you got the low line versus something that's elevated, usually you have a difference in color there, right? And that's, if you're showing symptomology on top of the hill, it could be a sulfur, right? Which we don't consider a micro, it's a still somewhat a macro because you're putting it on more than... Secondary macro. Yeah, you're right, John, you're right. Can I read one Always now? Always one up in me. Yeah, you can. Farmers don't need to worry about micronutrients for soil health. Nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium are the only nutrients that produce yield. True or false? Boy, I think we have a lot of information on the answer plot. It would say if you're short of zinc, you have a deficiency in zinc, then you, then you have a big yield difference. If you show up in our answer plot system, we have a big response to zinc. We have a big response to manganese and also boron. So I think that that answer is false. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, I'd agree with NP and K are maybe the most that we spend money on. However, I think that the way we unlock the yield that the NP and K give us is we have a micronutrient there. Some of the data you refer to on zinc, especially on corn, and I know we always baby corn here, but that's where a lot of the data that we refer to is coming. Zinc especially is it brings all those macros into the plant. If you don't have zinc bringing it in, it doesn't matter how much MPK you put out because it's just bringing it into the plant and just disorganizing it into the cells. Where if you got zinc, it'll stack it nice and be able to pack it in and you'll fit way more nutrients, NPK, if you're zinc sufficient. So your involvement with the tissue samples, I know you sort through a lot of them throughout the year, right? On soybeans, what would come back as one of the micronutrient deficiencies probability of the most out there? What would be the most deficient or responsive in the micronutrients that you look at when you analyze all the tissue samples for the company? So I got to be careful and not just quickly answer this to what I want it to be, but it's different by geography. But listen, I only care about soybeans and how they feel about nutrients when they're in reproductive stages. Before that, not so much. So manganese would be the biggest micronutrient for me in soybeans. And that goes different by geography, but if you look at probably the upper Midwest to Midwest, manganese is probably the most efficient during that R2, R3, 4-ish timing 
right when we're filling pods. We kind of mentioned this earlier, soybeans need manganese for photosynthesis. And the thing that's different with corn versus soybeans is soybeans live day to day. Corn can, corn's got a stalk, big thick stalk, big thick leaves. It picks up all of its nutrients and stores it in the plant. Soybeans got the little thin spindly stalks and little wispy leaves. They're kind of wimps in storing nutrients. They have to take them up every day, make magic with them, put them into your pods, put them into your seed weight, all the stuff that makes yield on soybeans, or at least what we think makes yield on soybeans. Still haven't quite figured that out. And manganese is a driver of photosynthesis. So it brings up all the ingredients, photosynthesizes with it, and then puts that back into feed itself during the nighttime. Very so, crucial. Manganese so, is for yield. Yep. So I had a nice story that tied in with that. But I mean, manganese, I think, in soybeans is probably one of the biggest deficiencies we see. Perfect. What's next question? Do I, I get two in a row? I did two in a row. Okay. You're like being fair now. That's not normal. It is fair. What's equal is not always fair. Gotcha. <laughs> Symptoms of immobile micronutrient deficiencies generally appear on younger leaves. True or false? Hmm. Good question. That is a scratcher. So immobile micronutrient deficiencies. So you got to be careful in answering that well, one. Well, I know. That's, that's what I was, I was sitting here thinking in my brain here on, on uh, how I respond that. And then you got to remember where the younger leaves are. Right. Younger leaves are the... On corn plant. On the top. Or on and the top. Same with soybeans. Yeah. That would be false. Yep. I'd go false with that yeah. one. So They tried stumping us here. Yeah, because, I mean, if it's immobile, it works itself up from the soil, right? It's going to go to the first place that that plant is missing the nutrient, which is on the bottom or the older leaves, and then it's going to show its deficiency on top. So a lot of the case, like zinc would be an example. Most of the time, some striping would, would show up on top because it's immobile. Boron, a secondary, it would be sulfur shows up on top right. because they're not mobile in the plan. But if you go to like uh, nitrogen, potassium, well, now we're in macronutrients. But all those fire on the bottom, the bottom because correct. the plant says, oh, I don't care if I need it on the bottom. I got to move it up to the top. Translocation. Yep. yep. Perfect. Give me that envelope. Oh, Ready for this one, John? Yeah, I want a good one this time. Question number five. It's best to apply boron in furrow at planting. True or false? Oh, that's a hard false. Terrible move. What would you see if you applied boron in furrow? Uh, you wouldn't have any plants come up? Right, burn them. Yep, so <clears throat> boron is toxic to the corn plant. Um, toxic to the germinating seed, rather. So regardless of what you're doing... So I'm quick to answer false because I get scared. I got to make the phone call or get the phone call and make the field call, right? Come walk my field. I put boron in and you told me so. And the thing is, is when you look at the nutrient hierarchy, what shows up is you need boron right away at germination. So you look at, say, the elemental prominence nutrient hierarchy and it goes, oh, I need boron at two times. I need it right at germination and I need it during the transfer from vegetation to reproductive, regardless of what crop you're in. So you go, oh, let's, because we're already going out planting, let's just put a little scoosh in. Sometimes. Scoosh. scoosh. How do you measure scoosh? Uh, it's somewhere between a. Is it a dash? It's somewhere between a dash and a pinch. Okay. Scoosh. Yeah, a little scoosh. So Norwegian, northern Minnesota thing. Be careful with boron and furrow. The proper timing for boron for me would be vegetation to reproduction. Reproductive. Right at that transfer. Yep. In any crop. This would be question number six. 
drum roll please. Plants uptake all micronutrient forms equally. True or false? Equally. So I guess I'd have to say false there just because I want to argue about that. Yeah, I would, I would say false too because there's nothing's ever equal in the world of plants or humans or anything else. So uptaking because the plant not necessarily... Cigar- Do you mean if you put one and a half pounds of zinc down that you're not going to get one and a half pounds of zinc uptake into the plant? No. Really? Are you growing it in water solution? Where does the other stuff gets tied up? It gets tied up in the soil, right? Well, they're not all available at the same time. So, is that left over for the next crop then? A lot of them are mobile. Some are immobile, right? Yeah. So, I don't know forms equally. So, if we're talking beginning and growing season versus latter part, they might not even be around if they're mobile. We get a bunch of rain. I don't know, your thoughts? So I'm just going through the list of micronutrients that I got flowing through my head. Really, the the only one that's mobile in the soil would be boron, the BO3 minus. It's a negative charge. Most all of them are positive charge. And that goes back to our cation exchange, probably holding on to them and not making them readily available. So then you go, when are we applying these? a lot of these micronutrients? Well, it might be in the fall broadcast, might be in the spring, and then... You got to somehow filter it through the soil and then the plant has to grab it back from that. And there is some data on the three modes of nutrient uptake. So mass flow, root interception, and diffusion process. Well, micronutrients are mostly like 30, 40% of them are taken up through root interception, meaning the root has to physically grow into the nutrient before it gets in. 40% of them. So it goes back to, well, maybe you can extract it from the soil, but you got to have a root mass there to get it all in there. Thus, a lot of our recommendations are sprayed through foliar. Foliar. Exactly right? where I was headed with that. Yeah. And but I beat you to it. I know. I set you up for the punchline <laughs> to make you look good. Would you like to ask the next one? Uh, I'm okay. Why don't you do another one? Oh, another one. Another one. Another one. Soil health levels are proving sufficient for generations, and I don't need to replenish with micronutrients. True or false, soil health levels are proving sufficient for future generations. I don't need to replenish them with micronutrients. Uh, I'm a false on this one. After answer plots, I'll talk about micronutrients for, feels like, you know, 45 minutes or whatever. And then I'll have somebody come up and say, hey, I got this soil test. Can you look at it for me? You know, look at the manganese level. Look at the magnesium. Look at all these micronutrients. Look at the zinc level. And go, hey, I got high levels. Do I really need to put foliar down? And it goes back to the question we just answered of how is a plant getting the nutrient? Well, it's getting it through the soil, but it's such a slow process. And for most plants, your root mass isn't developed until probably mid to late in its physiological process to actually extract a lot. So you'll be deficient with that micronutrient all the way through basically reproduction before you start to see it grab on. So I'm a false. I'm a false. I'm also false there too. You know, you spoke earlier, boron, leachable, right? Yep. So they're right there, debunks it. Yep. So I think the the story there is don't go putting a bunch of micronutrients on preloading and building your soils. I think it's got to treat what the hidden hunger would be in that case. Ready for another one? (sighs) You're going to take four now? Why not? In a row? (laughs) 
In general, manganese, iron, copper, zinc, and boron become more available in slightly acidic soils. True or false? Manganese, iron, copper, zinc. And boron. And boron. Become more available in slightly acidic soils. In general, right? That was the term there? In general. So I'd say in general, um, slightly acidic to me would be under seven. So six and a half, six, two. Is that how you would? Yeah, six. Well, yeah, six. Anywhere even, between six and seven would be slightly acidic. Right, or yeah. even below that. Well, that's moderately acidic. Below oh. six would be like, hey, you need lime. Maybe we should go through ranges. Nutrient, yeah. So nutrients are start. So I think there's a scale of tie-up and we really, what we want to talk about here is maybe optimum pH, right? Because we know that as, in a lot of cases, as you go up in pH, certain nutrients will tie up the same as if you go down in pH. Like iron? True. Yes. So I don't know if we can group all five of them and say, hey, if you're slightly acidic, here's how they're all available. I'd say optimum pH of anywhere between 6.2, for me, it's anywhere between 6.2 and 6.8 is where I want my crop to be actively growing, if that's possible. Understanding that high pHs are way more difficult to deal with than low pHs based on where you're at. So I guess that's kind of a true and a false. Yeah, this was a, they wanted to put us on the spot here, John, and I don't know if there's a, there's a good answer for it because it could be true or false. Because I mean, well, like you said, iron, as you deal with iron and high pHs, we know that it's no longer available. It's tight. I mean, but iron's the most abundant micronutrient on In the our face. Soil, right? So, so I mean, pH definitely matters. And I think that goes back, Kyle, to the three basics that we always have to worry about before we do anything. And that's drainage, manage the pH, and then think about fertility. Okay. So it goes back to those three basics. And if you don't have the drainage right, there's nothing, you can do whatever you want for the pH, but the drainage is going to be your limiting factor. Then changing your pH, making your nutrients more available. Then looking at a fertility sample and saying, what can I add here, when, and how? So I think going back to those three is, is where we need to be on that one. That's why we lime in this world, right? Yep. For the most part, liming is, is where it's probably going to be, making sure you're right between that 6.2, time frame or pH point. You've been listening to the Deal With Yield podcast. For more episodes, find us on iTunes, Podbean, and dealwithyield.com. So we're always looking to improve the Deal With Yield listening experience. If you visit dealwithyield.com backslash survey, so you type in dealwithyield.com backslash survey, you can find a link to the survey. If you take the survey, you will be entered to win an Amazon gift card. Thanks. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes open to residents of the U.S. who are 18 or over. Void where prohibited or restricted by law. Subject to official rules available at dealwithyield.com survey. Sweepstakes end June 1st, 2019. Sponsored by Winfield United.